You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 550 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this Sunday, and uh, on this particular podcast, a little bit of a different recording style slash uh, schedule, as I am recording the first part of this podcast on Sunday afternoon before the Hawks and the Magic play, so if you're listening to this, I promise later in the podcast we will get to Hawks Magic, but I'm going to record this part while it's still fresh in my mind about the Hawks and the Celtics on Saturday afternoon, so please forgive the uh, unevenness there, but you probably won't even be able to tell, and uh, we will have a break of some sort in between the two games, but First and foremost here, let's talk about the Hawks and the Celtics from Saturday. Atlanta was supposed to lose this game, and they ended up losing it by nine points, but that does not tell the story of what actually transpired because the Hawks trailed by many, many points, and then made a furious comeback and then lost by nine, which is about what they were supposed to lose by. The pregame spread was about 10, 10 and a half, so um, if you just saw the score, you probably would assume that it was kind of a harmless game. Um, with that said, there's a lot to, catch, a lot to catch, up, catch up on, honestly, if you missed this game. So uh, stay with me here, and we'll go through the entire thing as we always do on the podcast. So in the early going of Saturday's game, it was uh, a lot of offense and some sloppy play and a lot, and very, very little defense on both sides of the floor. In fact, it was 18-17 after just five minutes of play. A lot of a lot of fast-paced action. Trey Young and Kyrie Irving were carving each other up on both ends of the floor. Both guys had nine points in the first five minutes. The Hawks took their, took their first lead of the game, actually after trailing for most of the first quarter on a Kevin Herter three with about six minutes left in the first quarter. Actually became a 10-2 run by Atlanta to go up by a five-point margin in the first quarter. That was kind of the the lone bright spot of the first, I don't know, two and a half, three quarters for the Hawks, because after a timeout, the uh, Celtics kind of came alive. Before that, the Hawks actually opened this game 12 of 18 from the floor and 3 of 6 from 3. The offense was not the problem at all in the first quarter. Uh, but the Celtics responded with a, with a 13 to 3 run of their own, and um, a couple of untimely fouls by the Hawks on a stretch of the first quarter while they were while they were already in the bonus, kind of let Boston build their lead a little bit. In fact, the Hawks had a 149 defensive rating in the first quarter, which is obviously pretty terrible. Uh, Boston shot 62% from the floor and 5 of 9 from 3. The Hawks actually played very well on offense and uh, did plenty on that end of the floor under normal circumstances, but the defense was so poor in the first quarter that the Celtics were able to kind of pull away with 43 points in the first 12 minutes, and that's kind of uh, brutal defensively. From there, Boston stretched their lead to 16 in the second quarter with a 12-0 run midway through the period. Uh, it was uh, kind of that, there was one section there where they were kind of running their offense through Marcus Smart, who is not a great offensive player by any means, but he's big and physical, and he was sort of operating in the post as an initiator against Trey Young, being guarded by him. The Hawks did not handle that very well. Uh, Young got beat up a little bit during that stretch. Also, DeAndre Bembry had a poor defensive stretch by his standards. He's usually very good. It was not great in that spot. A couple of uh, very, very badly missed rotations from DeAndre. Um, in his minor defense, you don't normally see teams run their offense through a point guard in the post, but that actually happened here and, and was effective by the Celtics. The Hawks did respond down the stretch of the first uh, first half with a 6-0 run to get back with a 9 briefly when Boston just kind of went quiet. Um, Boston did build it back, back up to 15, though, before Torian Prince hit a walk-off 3 going into halftime to get the Hawks back within 12. You know, a rough half from the bench, I would say, in the first half. It was def- it definitely flipped in the second half when they were kind of led the comeback that we're going to get to momentarily. But aside from Vince Carter, the wasn't a lot to speak about positively about the bench. Alex Lynn struggled, Bembry struggled, and I thought Baysmore didn't really give them much either in the first half. 
Still, the offense was fine in the first half in, in general, but the defense was not, as you might expect, by the uh, fact that they allowed uh, 74 points before halftime. That's brutal in a lot of ways. Um, after the half, there was an 8-1 run by the Celtics to open things up. That put the Hawks down by 19, and uh, from there, it actually stretched even more so. There was a brief stretch where the Hawks knocked down, they, actually, Trey Young knocked down a very, very deep three to get back within 13 points, and right there, Young came off the floor with 20 points in about two and a half quarters. He was great. Um, he's kind of the only bright spot offensively, at least a huge bright spot offensively in the first two and a half quarters. But from there, it was all Boston for a while. In fact, it was a, uh, you know, Boston got, got, the, got the lead up to uh, 103 to 78 at one point, And that was, uh, you know, not great, I would say. Uh, the Hawks were down by 25 points with 310 left in the third quarter. That kind of tells you all you need to know about where the game was. I actually tweeted something that was basically like closing the door on the game. It felt like it was over at that point in time. Uh, to the Hawks' credit, though, they, they, they were able to come back and mount a massive comeback. That, And, in fact, they tied the game. Um, so... What that sort of the Cliff Notes version is the Hawks down 25 with three minutes to go in the third, and uh, with 7:25 remaining, it was a it was a three point game um, from the Hawks. So after you know in less than eight minutes, the Hawks went on a 28 to six run that actually stretched out to 34-9 was the overall run from Atlanta to tie the game at 112-112. Um, pretty crazy. That was after after a pair of Kent made more free throws. From there, though, the Celtics were able to put the game away, as you might imagine, by the final score. You know, as I said before, it was 112-112, and from there, it was 17-8. Boston down the stretch of this game. So without doing the full play-by-play, the Hawks kind of had this weird stretch where they missed a few shots in a row, and Boston put together a 9-0 run. The Hawks didn't score for about two and a half minutes or so. You can't just have that. You know, they sort of ran out of gas in some ways after that massive run, and that's sort of to be expected when you go on a 34-9 run. These are going to balance, usually, and Boston sort of reawakened at times. In fact, it should have been probably an even more comfortable win for the, for the Celtics down the stretch of this game. They made a couple of really, really boneheaded plays down the stretch to kind of let the Hawks back in the game because... It was 11. Uh, the lead was 11 for Boston after Kyrie Irving had a three. But from there, Torian Prince answered with a three of his own. Um, but the Hawks just kind of stopped scoring after that. Um, a few empty trips by, by Boston, though, infuting, including the, probably the worst shot of the game by anyone was a three by Marcus Morris when the Celtics were up by five points with about a minute to go. It took a very, very quick early shot clock three to sort of let the Hawks back into the game because he missed that one. And then Atlanta had the ball down five with 48 seconds to go. And the biggest missed shot of the game was Dwayne Debman, in my opinion, on this on the next possession because the Hawks got a great look from open three from Debbin, but he missed it. And that was kind of the end of the game because from there they, they were able, they were forced to foul um, Al Horford only, only made one of two to go up by six, but there was an empty trip there by ball, by the Hawks that took a lot, that took a long time. And that was kind of the end of that. So, you know, I, I went through a lot of information quickly there, but it's one of those things where, you know, the, the Cliffs story of this game was the Hawks struggling defensively in the first quarter and a half or so, and then getting down 25 again, down 25 points with about 15 minutes left in this game. They come back and tie it and then sort of run out of gas after sort of revving the engines quite a bit to get back in this game. And then Boston closes things without playing all that well. But the Hawks just kind of sputtered offensively in the final seconds of this contest. So there's a lot going on there. But uh, to the individual players in this game, interesting sort of hot and cold game. Um, As a collective, the bench really struggled in the first half, but they were great in the second half. They were on the floor for most of that run, uh, and as a result, the plus minuses actually swing toward the bench, which is sort of misleading in some ways because I thought they really, really got almost run off the floor in the first half. But because they were on the floor for that massive run in the second in the second half, that was able to swing things a little bit. Um, Vince Carter had the biggest game off the bench with 16 points. On 11 shot attempts, 4 of 6 from 3, 3 rebounds and a steal for Vince. I thought he was very active. Uh, he had 16 points at one point with only 12 minutes. Didn't score after that, but still 
21 minutes, 16 points for Vince Carter. You can't really ask for much more from him. Kent Bazemore um, had an up-and-down game, but he, he made some plays during the big run that the Hawks had. 12 points, 4 assists for Kent in 21 minutes. Did not make a jump shot in this game, but was 6 of 6 from the line, was very aggressive, and made a couple of big plays, including some big free throws in the second half. Alex Len struggled big time, I thought, in this game. It was one of his worst recently. Seven points, four rebounds um, in 11 minutes, which doesn't really tell the story, though. He didn't play very much because he just didn't have it going, honestly. Just didn't have too much going on positively for him. Jared Adams was quiet, was plus 11 because he was, he was on the fourth for a lot of that run while Trey Young sat. But three points, two assists, two rebounds for Jalen. He made his only shot attempt, which is what you want to see, obviously, from him. But you want to see him be more aggressive also. And finally, DeAndre Bembry, I referenced him before. He was better in the second half, to be sure. Brought a lot of energy defensively. Had four assists and three steals in the game. Four points, four, um, three rebounds as well. Um, did take a three, but he, I thought he played better in the second half, which is worth pointing out. The starters for the Hawks in this game, were, it was, again, up and down. Um, probably more down in the second half than up, but uh, they were better in the first half, which to, to be sure. Dwayne Devin was pretty quiet, I thought. I did, have, did have 13 rebounds to lead the entire game. That was the one bright spot for him. He's not known for being a dominant rebounder by any means, but I thought he played well on that end of the floor. Did have five points, but was two of ten from the floor and 0 of five from three. So after a scalding start to the season um, for Debman from th- from three point range, he's been quiet. He's been quieter recently. You know he's now oh, he's now 0 of eight in the last two games. As I'm recording this, we do not know what he did against Orlando at, at this particular second. But uh, Debman just didn't have it going for, with a jump shot, including the one big miss in the stretch run. Um, elsewhere in the starting lineup. I thought Kevin Herter was um, not great. It wasn't like he was super duper bad and, uh, and 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 I guess negative in the way that he affected the game. I had 10 points on 4 of 13 shooting, which is obviously not very good. 2 of 8 from 3. Did have 5 rebounds and 3 assists, but uh, kind of floated a little bit through this game. Had one spot where the, where the Celtics tried to give the game away, actually. In addition to the bad 3 by Marcus Morris, they threw an errant inbounds pass that Herter stole. Would have been a huge play, a huge swing if he was able to finish, but missed 2 layups. Went, all, went up pretty softly on both of them. Uh, was not able to either draw contact to draw a foul or make the shot which is another instance of him just not playing with a ton of force you know Herder does have it sometimes he's been okay around the rim at different times this season but he's had these spells where he's just been really ineffective at the rim that's a spot where he'll have to learn and get stronger and be, get more confident and uh, play with more force but that was one thing that stuck out to me during the game for Herder and then the big two had productive games, to be sure. John Collins, 20 points, 11 rebounds, and a career high, at least a tie career high, with six assists. Had a steal and a block as well. He was not efficient, though, by Collins' standards. 7 of 19 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3, 6 of 9 from the free throw line. So not a terribly inefficient game, but because Collins has been so efficient this year, it stands out when he's not very efficient. He was not very efficient in this game by his standards. And then finally, Trey Young, 26 points, four assists, two steals. They have six turnovers. So the first game in a while where he's had more turnovers than assists. Um, 10 of 17 from the floor, though, five of eight from three. So very, very efficient scoring game from Young. Not quite the same impact as a passer that he's normally had in the last couple of games here. And the turnovers were kind of kind of hurtful. I will say there were a couple of stats flying around after the game about what happened when Marcus Smart guarded Trey Young. And that's not a huge surprise. It, it didn't go well as a... Um, Cliff's notes there. He did most of his damage against Kyrie Irving, who you know that's that's good that he can sort of tear guys up that he should tear that he that he should tear up. At the same time, um, the Celtics put smart on him, and that was able to be pretty effective in taking the ball out of Trey's hands. Number one, and kind of just eliminate the damage there. But still, he got his numbers. I thought Trey played pretty well offensively. Defensively, he struggled. You know, you can't really ask him to guard Kyrie Irving with much effectiveness right now. You know, Trey's not the most effective defensive player in the world, obviously. And then you throw in the fact that Kyrie is awesome, and uh, he had 30-11-9 in this game, so uh, that was not all on Trey either. But just worth pointing out that he had some defensive struggles along the way here. So, you know, as a team, the Hawks played pretty well offensively. A 112.6 offensive rating, that is more than enough to win on most games. 
but defensively, they allowed a 121 defensive rating, and that was uh, even with Boston really scuffling in the fourth quarter. Uh, before that, it was, it was over 130 for the first three quarters or so. And Boston had 30 assists on 44 made baskets. The ball was zinging around. They were getting a lot of easy baskets, a lot of open threes, and the Hawks just couldn't have been happy with the way that the defense played here. You know, Boston is obviously more talented than Atlanta. They've been really up and down this season. And of course, this is a 12-30 game on Saturday, so not a huge surprise that there were a lot of swings, and including the early portion of the game where both teams were kind of struggling to get stops. But still, you know, the Hawks just didn't particularly have enough gas to put it away. But still, I think it was a pretty admirable effort, frankly, by Atlanta to, you know, come back from 25 down in the second half. That's sort of one of those moral victory things where the Hawks again showed for the repeated time this year that they were able to sort of kick on the gas and uh, close a lead or, or stretch a lead out. When they're really rolling offensively, they're almost unstoppable, and that's a credit to Young and Collins in particular, in addition to some to some of the shooting and the scheme stuff from Lloyd Pierce. But um, it's just one of those things. Oh, I, I just realized that I, I, skipped, I skipped Torian Prince in the finals thing, so I'll, I'll, end, I'll end with him in this game almost appropriately, because <laughs> he had 17 points uh, on 13 shots, which is just fine, 3-5 three, five, three, five from 3, 4-4 four, four from the free throw line, but I thought he was pretty harmful to the Hawks throughout this game. I tweeted that, but he's, his ball stopping is just um, bothersome, and a lot of times he really kills the ball momentum um, and the ball movement at times. Um, and he was minus 17, which was fitting. I, I, he had the worst plus-minus on the team. It's not always an, a great indicator in plus-minus. If, if you're new to the podcast, I always throw that out there as a reference point, but it's not always indicative. I thought it kind of was here. I thought he was probably the most harmful player, given that he played 31 minutes. It's not Again, he's not the worst player on the team by any means, but I thought Prince's ball stopping, particularly at big moments, was really harmful and uh, defensively he just didn't have a great game either so I don't want to I, I didn't mean to leave him for the for the end but I just I just kind of forgot about Torian in my list here so there is that and that's plenty so again big picture takeaways from this game I thought the Hawks you know got got down big because of their defense for the most part but they turn it on their offense closed the gap they were able to make a lot of plays and you know credit to them one more time here for closing a 25 point lead and tying the game in the fourth quarter um, big ups to them for that we're able to close the uh, close the door on a win, and uh, no no great shame in that either. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off for now. But after the short break, we will come back and talk about the second game on the agenda, and that is Hawks Magic from Sunday. All right, and we're back here on this Sunday evening now that I am recording to talk about the Hawks and the Magic. I am tempted to not say too much about this game and just kind of leave it as is because, frankly, in retrospect, the Saturday game between the Hawks and the Celtics was a lot more exciting than the Sunday game between the Hawks and the Magic. Um, with that said, there was also not too much buzz going on about this Hawks game because of the fact that it was March Madness bracket reveal selection Sunday. Also, Atlanta United had a game on Sunday, sorry, a match, I suppose, on Sunday evening. So uh, that combined with the fact this was not a great game, uh, this is a, sort of lends itself to sort of a quiet night in Hawksland on Sunday. But here we are talk about the game anyway and uh, we'll start at the top here the Hawks were actually nine point underdogs in this game so they actually did not cover uh, the final score was was a 10 point contest but for the most part it was uh, around that number all night long in fact the Hawks opened as a seven point underdog and got bet up to nine the Hawks were on the road here obviously back to back granted it was not a normal back to back and that they played Saturday afternoon so they had a little bit more time off Still, Atlanta played on Saturday on the road and had to travel, and Orlando had not played since Thursday night, and that was a home game, so they had a massive reg at rest advantage, I should say, and uh, that actually ended up, I, I think, being um, important to point out here because even after this game, Lloyd Pierce immediately referenced the back-to-back, and uh, it was pretty easy to place some some blame on that. You know, the Hawks didn't execute very well either, but they definitely had the, had the look of a team that, that was coming off of a game on Saturday. That sort of manifested itself early on because they were down they were down 13-4 to in a hurry. Atlanta opened 2 of 11 from the floor. With three turnovers in the first five minutes, um, you know, to their credit, they actually played even pretty much the rest of the re- the rest of the way. 
but that 13-4 deficit at the outset um, made, made for a, t- a tough um, sort of uphill climb for the rest of the night. In fact, the, the Hawks only scored four points in the first five and a half minutes of the first quarter. Um, to their credit, though, again, ended the first quarter with, with 25 points, so about 21 points in about six and a half minutes or so, and that was a nice recovery to get, to get back within three points at the, end, at the end of the first quarter. Still, um, the Hawks only shot 44, 44% from the floor and 0 of 7 from three in the first 12 minutes. That was the theme throughout the game. In fact, the Hawks missed their first 11 threes in this contest, and uh, between that and a bunch of foul trouble, that was uh, a tough sledding for the offense. John Collins fouled out of this game. He actually had three fouls early in the second quarter. They went to a Dwayne Dedman, Alex Lynn combo front court at that point in time. Um, actually, Trey Young, Dwayne Dedman, and Torian Prince all had all had two fouls early in the second quarter as well. So lots of foul stuff throughout the night. Um, fast forward to the end here. Collins fouls out. Devin had five. Prince had four. And he's not necessarily known for having a ton of foul trouble. So, you know, lots of uh, stuff there. Most, most of it was early aside from Collins, but still some stuff to uh, keep in mind there. Um, Orlando scored the first eight points of the second quarter to go up by 11. And that kind of allowed them to um, keep themselves in a distance from the Hawks. Um, there was nice. There was one nice flurry of offense when Kevin Herter snapped the 0 of 11 th- streak from three-point range. Um, followed, that was followed by quickly by uh, Torian Prince three and another hour Len three shortly after that to get back within three. Still, Orlando managed to put the uh, put the pedal to the floor a little bit, go up by twelve before settling at a, at a ten point advantage at the half. The Hawks shot thirty nine percent from the floor and five of eighteen from three. Only took four free throws in the first half, and that was the theme throughout the game. But especially Stark in the first half of this contest, with no Hawks player reached double figures, just the offense was not really in sync at all in the first half. In fact, thirty three percent shooting in the second quarter. And um, if I had to pick somebody that I thought played pretty well in the first half, it would have been Alex Lynn. Um, I thought he played pretty well the entire game. For the most part, but um, because of John Collins' foul stuff, Vince Carter led the team in minutes with 15 in the first in the first half, and that's something that you don't always see from this Hawks team. In fact, Vince was on the very short list of guys who played more than 25 minutes in this contest overall, but especially Stark in the first half. Um, after halftime, Dwayne Dedman got his fourth foul about a minute into the third quarter, so that was more foul trouble for the Hawks, and really an ugly start for both teams in the third quarter. If, if I had to say that there, that was probably the low point of the entire game from a game-watching standpoint was the third quarter. It was a 22-19 overall quarter, but especially the first five, six minutes of that third quarter was really a slog to watch. The Hawks went down by 14 midway through the third, but they actually did close very nicely on a 6-0 run to get within seven points. Um, they actually shot the best that they did the entire game with 50% shooting in the third quarter, but still 0-7 from three again, which was uh, costly to say the least. And then um, six turnovers as well for Atlanta in the third period, despite the fact that they were actually outscoring Orlando by a three-point margin. In the fourth, Collins got his fifth foul with about 10 and a half minutes to go. That definitely hurt in a lot of ways. They got, they got it to six on a, on a couple of occasions early in the period. Uh, Vince Carter had a three with about six and a half minutes to go to get back within seven, but that, that Nicole's Vucevic had four straight points, but to go back to go back up by eleven, and from there it was all an uphill climb. The Hawks did again make a couple of nice plays to get back within striking distance. A Dwayne Dedman three to get back within eight with about four forty to go. Um, in fact, the Hawks were within five with three oh five to go after John after Trey Young found John Collins for a bucket. But after uh, they created a turnover, actually, and had the ball down five, an ill-advised shot from Torian Prince that missed, and then Cal- and then Collins fouled out on the next possession when uh, he fouled Vucevic to go up by seven, and then uh, the Hawks did get back, get back within five briefly there, but a bad turnover led to a DJ Augustine layup. Vince Carter missed a three, and then Evan Fournier scored to go up by nine with about 109 to go. That basically ended the game, and uh, it was sort of a back and forth on the way to the 10-point final margin. Um, so that's kind of the, the quick Cliffs Notes version of what transpired here. It was an offense offensive slog, as I mentioned before, really hideous offense from the Hawks in this game, an 87.9 offensive rating, that is ghastly. 
Uh, granted, they they were able to hold Orlando to a 97.6 defensive rating, so that was a, a positive if you want to find one. Orlando, for a team that had a bunch of rest, did not play very well in this game, frankly, but the Hawks... Um, just couldn't score um, for the entire night. Uh, Lloyd Pierce um, sort of lamented the lack of um, fouls that were called um, in his in his team's favor. The Hawks only took 10 free throws. That's really, really low uh, in a game like this. You know, Orlando took 33 free throws, for instance, and the foul disparity, just the way they were called, 29-15 to 15 in favor of Orlando. And uh, just a very notable thing there. You know, the Hawks are not always in- incredible getting to the line. At the same time, 10 attempts for an entire 48-minute game is very, very low. And Pierce, you're not, you don't really see him um, take that take that's sort of a direct shot. If you watch the post-game press conference from Orlando, he uh, references that pretty directly, and he was just disappointed in that. But still, um, he references the fact also that the Hawks were a second team, second night of a back-to-back, and they played like it offensively, and that was definitely the case. So, uh, scoring less than less than 0.9 points per, per, per possession is going to get you beat most nights, and the Hawks lose this game by 10 points as a result of that. With 42% shooting, 23% from three, eight of 35. If you combine eight of 35 from three and only 10 in free throw attempts, that's a really really tough hill to climb. And the Hawks only had 20 assists against 18 turnovers. That's a really, really bad offensive uh, night overall for Atlanta. Again, a bright spot was the defense, if you wanted to point, point out one. Aside from Nikola Vucevic, who was awesome with 27-20 and 20, um, in this game, there wasn't too much going on for Orlando. I guess Aaron Gordon had a pretty good game as well with 22 points. But the Hawks defense did a pretty decent job. Uh, granted, Orlando's not the greatest offensive team in the history of the league, but they did a decent job at holding their backcourt down with uh, Forney and Augustine. And the Hawks, I thought, competed on the end of the floor, gave good effort, just didn't have too much in the way of Verve going offensively in this spot. Um, we'll go to the individual players briefly on this game. On this game Again, I'm not going to spend too much more time on this one because it was kind of a slog, as I said before. But individually, if you're looking for a bright spot off the bench, I would say it's Alex Lynn. 13 points, 3 rebounds for Lynn in 24 minutes. He did a good job, a valiant job, filling in for Deadman and Collins, who were battling foul trouble. And I thought he was uh, by far the bright spot off the bench. Jalen Adams had a, had a nice little game at times, 5 points, 3 rebounds and an assist. Got beat up offensively, I'm sorry, defensively a little bit, but I thought he did a pretty decent job. Kent Bazemore was struggling, uh, did have eight rebounds, which is the second highest total on the team. So he was competing as he always as he always does, but just didn't have it going offensively. Five points on one of six shooting, 0 of two from three. He was not alone though. You know, uh, Vince Carter was Vince Carter. He had eight points on eight, on eight shot attempts, which isn't great for him, but did have two steals and three assists. I thought he was pretty active, and um, especially in the first half, battled um, playing a lot of minutes in place of John Collins. And Bembry had some nice moments as well. Eight points, three, three assists, three rebounds. Uh, I think as a help defender in both games, I think I mentioned this earlier on the uh, Celtics podcast, Celtics game breakdown earlier on this podcast, but Bembry's help defense was kind of shaky in both these games. Um, it's not necessarily a brand new thing for him. He's much better on the ball at times, but um, some of his game only did not work out very well in either one of these games, and that's worth pointing out. Still, the bench actually had positive net ratings. Uh, Bazemore was dead even at zero, but everybody else was positive off the bench. I'm not sure that's necessarily indicative, but they all played at least reasonably well. They weren't terrible. None of those guys that were off the bench were bad in this game. Kevin Herter was pretty quiet, and uh, the numbers showed it. Three points, one of seven from the floor, 0 of four on twos for Herter. A couple of weak takes around the rim, uh, something he's going to have to improve on, but it wasn't like he was, he wasn't absolutely unplayable or anything, but just didn't have too much going on here. Um, Dwayne Dedman, 10 points, 14 rebounds to lead the team. A double-double for there for him. In fact, he was the only guy with a double-double because John Collins did not get one, which is kind of surprising. But Dedman, I thought, was pretty good despite, despite the fouls. Uh, Torian Prince, I thought, really struggled. Nine points, 4-11 from the floor, 1-5 from three. Five turnovers as well, gets two assists, and the ball stopping. He was frustrating in this game. I'll leave it there. I could probably pile on even more, but I said a little bit more about him in the Celtics game. I thought Prince was uh, really bad in both these games, honestly. So um, a, rough, a, rough week, a rough weekend for Torian Prince is kind of where I want to leave it for now. 
John Collins, 10.7 rebounds. You know, I thought he played decently. In fact, I mentioned this, I think, on Twitter to Tyler Jones, good friend of the program, um, that Collins, I, I thought, played better defensively over the weekend, played with more force. Part of that led to his fouls. So it's kind of a, kind of a give and take for him. He's going to have to learn, and I think that's one of the big things that the Hawks emphasize with him is not fouling out of games. He had a really, really high foul rate in college, and I think they probably coached him a little bit to avoid that, uh, and, and that maybe it took away a little bit of his, of his uh, force defensively. He played with more force in these two games defensively. That's good. Good to see from him. Now you have to mix that with not fouling. So it's kind of a give and take in a lot of ways defensively for a young player. Um, I've been critical of, critical of his defense. In fact, Jeff Siegel, good friend of the program, also um, tweeted a, a pretty interesting thread about Saturday's game that's worth reading um, over on his Twitter feed, at JG Siegel, about Collins' defense and some other stuff there. But I thought he played pretty well defensively in these two games. So that's some, that's, that's some positivity to hold on to as you look forward from Collins. And finally, Trey Young was the only bright spot offensively for the most part in this contest. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists for Trey, 9 of 18 from the floor. 0 of 5 from 3, though, so he on the bright side, 9 of 13 from 2. That's very, very good for Young, considering his normal baseline. But 0 of 5 from 3, um, you know, kind of, it wasn't like he was uh, outstanding by his standards, but he did. He was effective. He was the guy. I think he got a little bit energized by the way that DJ Augustine was defending him in this contest because uh, he and Augustine included didn't, uh, didn't, really, uh, didn't really enjoy each other, I should say. It's probably the best way to put that. But I thought he at least played well, especially after halftime. I thought Young was pretty darn good offensively and uh, didn't struggle as badly defensively as he had in the Boston game. So all that to say, you know, a 10-point loss against Orlando on a second half of a back-to-back is not a criminal act by any means. The Hawks did not play well offensively. I think everybody knew it, and it was really sort of a tough game to uh, swat, to, a tough game to consume. Just one of those things where if you miss this one, you're probably better off not watching it, uh, unless you're someone like me that has to watch these games. This is one that fans probably wish they probably had back for two and a half hours. So just one of those things. Um, okay, that'll probably do it for today's podcast. I know I'm rambling on Sunday night, so please stay tuned. This is going to be the Monday morning podcast. I'm going to have a, pod, a new pod hopefully with a guest that I have lined up that I'm, I'm going to record on Monday into Tuesday morning, and then the Hawks play again on Tuesday. That I will be in the building for that one, Hawks-Rockets Tuesday night. So please stay tuned. Please subscribe to this podcast. I haven't said it yet on, on this particular show, but pick your podcast platform of choice and subscribe to the pod. Leave positive feedback, five-star reviews if you, if you like the podcast, and also tell a friend. Please tell a friend. We're trying to grow the show, so uh, I really appreciate everyone that's already jumped on board. But please uh, help us out and uh, do all that for me. And uh, if nothing else, we will see everybody later on in the week.